everybody. I'm Flood the Drummer. Thanks for being tuned into the Drumming for Justice podcast. It's Thursday, May 10th. And one of the big stories trending on the internet is about a white, uh, excuse me, a white Yale student who called the police on her napping black schoolmate. Uh, joining me to discuss this story and more is Gregory Walker. He is the creative director of the Brothers Network and a member of the Black Arts Movement Speakers Bureau. You can follow him on Twitter at the Bronet and favorite his anchor channel, the Brothers Network. Gregory Walker, thanks for joining me. It's my pleasure to be with you today, Chris. Thank you for having me. So the internet today is talking about this story. It's a, it's a black uh, student who was sleeping in the commons area. A white schoolmate sees her, doesn't think she belongs there, and she calls the police on her. Now, of course, this story comes less than a month after two black men in Philadelphia had the cops called on him, for, uh, uh, called on them, I should say, for loitering in a Starbucks uh, people, I guess, who wanted to make that an isolated incident, that, that incident in Philadelphia, they have some reckoning to do, huh? Well, I agree. But these crucial blunders are something that happens for uh, since the beginning of time in America. And I love to talk about that we were stamped from the beginning. It's a, a reference to a book that was written in 2016 called Stamped from the Beginning and talks about the historical and cultural sort of uh, second-class citizenship and even dehumanization of, of black people, the black body, and the black mind. I'd like to say just for, for our listeners today that I actually had the pleasure of going to school in New Haven, not at Yale, but in New Haven. And so I'm very familiar with the Yale campus and the setup and how it looks and what it looks like. And for decades, there has been a long tension between uh, black people, both Yale students and, uh, and white people in, in the mm. town and around the town. You know, one of the things that sort of happened um, three years ago was John C. Calhoun was a former U.S. Senator um, former vice president of the United States was a white man, and he made all of his money on the backs of slavery and suggested that slavery and racism was appropriate. Um, this, there's a dorm and a school named after John C. Calhoun, and many people, many of them black and white, decided to have that name removed from the Yale campus because they saw how offensive it was. And I think that that idea and ideology around separate and unequal um, is pervasive both on the Yale campus and through New Haven and in Philadelphia and throughout much of the country. Mm -hmm. The uh, vice president of, of student life at Yale today, uh, her name is Kimberly Goff Cruz. She released a statement. Uh, she says, we have more work to do. Uh, and, but she says, all of us in senior leadership recognize that incidents such as this one are being framed within a difficult national context. And I want to underscore our commitment to carry out our mission as a university and an ethical, interdependent and diverse community of faculty, staff, students and alumni where all are respected. When she says um, that, that this incident is being framed within a difficult national context, why do you think she was, um, you know, I guess not willing to go? Well, I mean, I guess in, in, in her previous statement, she said that uh, they're committed to appropriately addressing issues of racism and bias on campus. Uh, so I guess my question then is this difficult national context, uh, I guess that she should get credit for acknowledging that this is a pattern, this is a context that is nationwide, that this isn't too, like they tried to frame with Starbucks, an isolated incident. Well, I think there's two things that people have missed in both the Starbucks incident and certainly here at Yale and the incident that's going to happen next month in another uh, location, <laughs> another part of the country, right? It's the individuals. It's not the university in this case. Right. It's not Yale. It's not, um, they're, they're creating an environment of, of, of uh, bias intentionally. That's not the case. It's the individuals. It's the individual mm -hmm. manager who worked for Starbucks at the time. It's this individual white woman who believed that the African-American woman was not uh, appropriately in her own space. That is the piece. It's the individual. These things sort of happen in these bigger, larger institutions. 
and corporations, but it's the individual. What I do with the Brothers Network, along with my uh, board of uh, board of directors in in Philadelphia and in six other cities, is talk about how great and uh, black men are and how always have been. So mm-hmm. my work is to change the narrative for individuals. We love if we get institutional support, but we want to talk about individuals. It's that white woman who feels marginalized that she too was a Yale student and she doesn't think this black woman belongs there. It's mm-hmm. the individual. So do you think it's unfair right now for people? Because I'm, I'm looking at I'm looking on Twitter at some of the responses. And, you know, one person says at, at Gord Macy writes, thanks to Yale University, we can now add taking a nap to the endless list of things black people cannot feel safe doing. Do you think that's a fair statement? I think it's an unfair statement because we have felt safe. Uh, so to truth felt safe, right? We felt safe. Uh, my When I was living in, in New Haven, I lived with uh, someone who's now a professor at in, at uh, CUNY in New York, uh, Robert Reed Farr. And so Robert Reed felt far, very comfortable getting his degree there mm. and graduating. There's tons of black graduates from Yale University. One of the, some of the smartest people in the country. Some of them hold public office in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Everyone can has the opportunity to go to Yale and be at Yale and be there in their full ride and, and learn. That's what it's for. It's a, it's a higher institution, a college of, college of education, it's higher institution. So you're not you're not you're not willing to focus on you don't think we should be condemning the institution as much as we should be condemning that student. I think people should go to www.thebrothersnetwork.org and look at all the great things black men have done. And I want that white woman who falsely accused this this uh, this fellow student of sleeping in the dorm and not belonging there. I want her to go to that website and look at it and see Mm -hmm. all the great things that black people do. Mm -hmm. The creative director for Gucci now is a black man. Louis right? The person who designs furniture for the top French brand Roche du Bois is a black man. Mm-hmm. So it's not the entities. And I think with Gucci, individual. I think you mean Louis Vuitton. Um, I'm sorry, West, what did I say? Kanye West is former uh, uh, fashion director, now works at Louis Vuitton. I'm a prophet, so maybe I'm anticipating what will happen next. <laughs> <laughs> and the young lady, the black lady, the black young lady at the uh, Ivy League school that we're talking about, Yale, uh, her name is Lolad uh, Sinyabola. Uh, I believe she's of African uh, descent, uh, as we all are, a beautiful uh, Black woman, too. Um, but I think that you're right. I think that when we look at the issue at Yale, when we look at the issue at Starbucks, when we look at the issue of uh, the three young Black men who were uh, racially profiled at Nordstrom's Rack and had the police called on them, this this does get to uh, the core issue in society of how we, blew, how, how we view Black bodies uh, and, and why we view them as threatening, and why we view them as not belonging in white spaces or perceived white spaces. And, and this goes back to Stamped from the beginning. There is an intentional ideological framework in this country and really around the world that says you should be fearful. And I reject the idea of the black body. I think it's more the black mind that uh, individuals are afraid of because that's more fearful. The black yeah, body but when not those so much. three black bodies are at, at, at Nordstrom's rack and they're buying clothes, they don't. They're not afraid for their mind. They don't know these people. They just see black bodies in a space that's traditionally reserved for white people uh, of a certain status, and they think they don't belong. They don't well, care I th- about Well, I think it's the idea point. that how could this black man possibly know about Nordstrom's or Nordstrom's Rack getting discounted clothes, which is something you and I like to do a lot, buy, buy things on discount. How could they possibly know about it? They couldn't possibly be intentional and have thought about they were coming to this particular store. They, they don't believe it. The storekeeper does not believe it. The store salesperson does not believe that the person, these black men, could possibly know about Nordstrom's right. They know it's mm-hmm. an off-brand for Nordstrom's. 
They think they are not aware that they are, you know, buying these things at a discount, right? And I love that the, the, one of the young black men, he said, I wanted to prove to them that I did belong. You, you, you didn't wind that. up buying something at the, at the end. Of, of course, of course, of course. But you know what? Do you know how many other people buy things at Nordstrom's, mm-hmm. right? And when we look at theft, right, we talk about our friends who work in security and retail stores. The white people are the people who are stealing, <laughs> you know, <laughs> when I'm regularly in, in Whole Foods and the Dollar, Dollar Tree, put that out there. Um, it's the white person who comes in and puts the, the cheeses in her or his bag or mm. his backpack. It's not the black person. I'm in there because I really like a particular product that they have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, but yet I get followed around. So it's not my black body, which is six foot five and bald head with a beard. It's my black mind. The security person who's generally white says, this guy doesn't belong. He couldn't possibly know. But can it be saying. both? I don't think it has to be a both and type I, I of think that, I think I think it can be both, but I also think that people are more fearful uh, and I want to look at our full humanity, and you know I want to look at our full humanity, and I want to not just talk about, we don't talk about the white male body. Mm-hmm. We talk about white male intelligence. So I want us to put, be on par with that and talk about black male intelligence. There's so many graduates who are black who graduated for uh, decades from Yale University, and this woman is going to be one of them. Mm-hmm. But but I, again, it gets to my point, when, when that white student saw the black student sleeping on the uh, the, the commons area, or when shoppers at Nordstrom Rack or employees at Nordstrom's Rack see three black men in their store attempting to buy something. Or when Holly, the former manager at the Philadelphia Starbucks, saw the two black men sitting there. I, I don't believe any one of them, and I understand what you're saying, but I don't think even one of them was saying, I'm, I'm concerned about their intelligence. I think they were socialized to view their bodies. Their bodies alone is threatening. Their presence alone in a particular space is threatening. Even yeah, we I, I think that the, the, the white, the white, uh, and congratulations, by the way, on breaking that story nationally. And can, by the way, congratulations on being on GMA to, to share that story. You're the one who got the interview with, uh, what's with, GMA? with Ali. GMA, I'm sorry. No, what's that? Um, no, Good Morning America. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but the point I'm making here is that she thought Starbucks is, has a $4 coffee. Mm. These individuals aren't worthy of that. They couldn't possibly be here to participate in getting a $4 coffee. They don't have the intelligence to understand coffee, right? Which the coffee bean comes from, you know, many parts of the world. And they couldn't possibly be someone here. They couldn't possibly be someone here to enjoy that. And -hmm. also economically, she didn't think they could afford it. Mm -hmm. She went through a series of things in her mind about those individuals being there at that particular time. And then Mm -hmm. they talked about doing real estate. And then the police show up, and they still also believe it. These mm-hmm. people couldn't possibly be here for real estate. Black people are only renters. They're not homeowners. They don't own anything. So it's not the body. It's the mind. This is the lie. They couldn't possibly be here for the reasons that they're telling you. So I think that this, this anti-intellectualism is paramount for people who are fearful. And mm-hmm. we go all the way back to 2008 when you know there was a beer summit that followed when uh, at another university, another Ivy League university, um, the professor was going into his own home, mm-hmm. and the police came and arrested. Skip him. Gates. That's correct. Mm-hmm. This is someone who just came from China. So black people only when they think of you know they, white people think there's no way this guy came from China. I like to make the joke Black China playing on the Kardashian reference. <laughs> they could not believe it. They could not believe it. Members of the Brothers Network are currently in China right now. People don't believe that. Mm-hmm. They don't believe that black men can be in China. Kahinde Wiley, artist who painted the president, worked and lived in China for a very long time. 
People don't believe that. So when they see a Kehinde Wiley walking down the street, they don't think this is the artist who painted the, the presidential portrait, mm-hmm. who also attended Yale. Mm-hmm. Thank you for giving me the circular entry there. Is an MFA from Yale. I mean, this, this is the, the people do not believe that this person belongs. Mm-hmm. Not their body, but their mind. Yeah, I'll so continue to say it's both Nordstrom's or any of those places, there's a there's a, 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 a an idea idea that is pervasive in this country mm-hmm. and around the world. But 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 then they are socialized. I mean, so do you blame these individual people? Because I know we're talking about individuals and not blaming institutionals. But these individuals think is somewhat institutional racism, and so. I mean, I know you're not saying, you know, the well, I think, not I think you're right. It is institutional racism. I agree with that. It's right. also it's also pervasive. You know, when we go back but, but to... But I guess my point is, you know, I know I get your point about not blaming the institution in terms of Yale University, but there has to be some uh, acknowledgement of institutional racism in the context that these people have been indoctrinated to believe. I completely agree with you. I completely agree with you. And it goes back to Birth of a Nation, the first one, not the second one that was brilliant, but the first one. There were movies and films and literature that talked about how black people and black bodies, if you will, and black minds were inferior to that of white minds. Mm-hmm. So, yes, it is institutionalized, not so much as an institution, but it's institutionalized. It's part of it. When I grew up in Connecticut, we didn't learn anything at all about black history. Mm. There was not a relevant conversation about black history. And I remember at very all? vividly. Zero? In, in, zero. And I remember very vividly when Roots was on television. I'm really old, and my then history, my then uh, my then history <laughs> teacher, Mrs. Pass, ironically, a white woman from the South, and she said, "Gregory, how do you that this happened to your people?" And I said, "Well, this is the beginning of our history. We're the descendants of kings and queens." And she said, "What?" I said, "Black people, the descendants, are the descendants of, of kings and queens, and kings some and queens. will say direct descendant of, of Frederick <laughs> Douglass and Henry Box Brown." <laughs> Okay, but I mean, the point here is that <laughs> my history teacher was unaware that there had been uh, the, the continent of Africa and black individuals, black human beings have been stolen from their land. Mm-hmm. She thought black people miraculously sort of got here on maybe, you know, uh, luxury boats or something, I don't know, and uh, decided to become slaves the way Kanye West seems to think that that's the case. You know, it was a decision. Mm. Um, obviously misinformed. Mm-hmm. And that's, again, why I go back to the individual. We make this false assumption that someone like a Kanye West would be informed, but he's not. And that's not to slam him in any way. It's just that he's misinformed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When you center whiteness, you center materialism, and you lack uh, consciousness, those are the kinds of things that can happen. And I think that many of the people who work in, I'm going to say, low-wage workers at Starbucks, no shade to them, you know, they're very fearful. Mm. Because they think, is this black man going to take my job? Mm-hmm. You know, if I don't do this, you know, she felt this need, this, the, the white woman there felt the need to protect the other white patrons. And in fact, the white patrons on that video came right to the defense of the African-American men. Mm-hmm. So they haven't done anything. What are you talking about? With these people and like it's this, not do you think Starbucks, that... It's this idea. I'm sorry? With people like that, like the manager at Starbucks, do you think that... You know, she instantly regretted her decision when she when she saw the fallout it was having. Or do you think she probably stands by what she did? You know, one of the things that people operate in today is really, you know, they're on Facebook or whatever, and they just <clears throat> they're in a bit of a bubble. Mm-hmm. 
So I think when she went home and told her colleagues and friends and maybe put it on Facebook, what she had done, they supported her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think she had the consciousness. I think she probably is unaware as to why she lost her position. Mm. She's unaware why this storage would shut down. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, Starbucks does have a responsibility, as does Nordstrom, as does Yale University. And that's to ensure that they uh, promote an environment that talks about equality. Mm-hmm. And maybe one of the questions they can ask people, are you racist? <laughs> I mean, because I think that many racists would them. say, yes, I am. Or they would say, well, how do you define yes. that? I mean, I don't know if that's like one of those questions you can ask in a job interview. Oh, it uh, should be. Right? It should be. Otherwise, we're going to seriously you know, have this are challenge. Are you racist? I'm sorry? I think it should be one of the questions. I, mean, I, I, think say, I don't be, know if that's legal. Well, let me say this. I think it can be asked, you know, do you, do you, what, what is your feeling on implicit bias? Mm-hmm. You know, do you have any biases? <clears throat> Are you fearful of a particular type of person? Yeah. You know, if mm-hmm. you see a woman wearing a hijab, does that make you fearful or does that make you comfortable? Mm-hmm. Does that make you inquisitive or does that make you scared? Mm-hmm. If you see a so black the- man who walks into the establishment, how do you feel about that? I think you can ask those kinds of questions. No, that's a good point. One of the, the terms that came out of the, the Starbucks incident that their C-suite uh, was using was uh, uh, unconscious bias uh, and that they, the Starbucks is closing their stores uh, this month for training on unconscious bias. Is unconscious bias and racism the same thing in your opinion or is that a safe word? Um, I can't get into the, I can't get into the, the, the mnemonics on this one, but I can say that uh, we live in a culture, to your point, that has taught Americans and many other people around the world to be afraid of the black person mm-hmm. and our movies, our films, it's indoctrinated. So I don't think it's unconscious. I think it's very conscious. Mm. That's the point I want to make. Mm. It's very conscious. Very intentional. I think it, it's intentional. Yeah. And I think also black people are a, a, a part of it as well in terms of suggesting that someone who is uh, walking down the street and has maybe their pants say, sagging is maybe someone who automatically is a criminal. That's not the case. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or less so I don't think it's just one group. I think it's we've assigned these images to mean one particular thing. And that's what my work does. My work uncovers, reimagines and tells the truth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what do we need in terms of, I mean, taking your model and looking at your model as, as, as informing how do we come to a solution in this country? I mean, well, I, I think, you joked at the beginning that, you know, the next incident next month or the month after that, you know, of course, this is going to happen again. But is there a way to mitigate this in a meaningful way? Um, I, I think it's incidents? an ongoing effort by a collective group of individuals, uh, myself and others, who have the consciousness to understand that this is an intentional uh, phenomena that is rooted in this country, uh, starting back in the 1600s. And we have to be more conscious about it. We also have to, I mean, I, I'll just put it out there since, uh, you know, Blavity puts up 10 stories at the end of every week and nine of them are negative about <laughs> black people. Nine of them are negative. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this podcast of Gregory Walker alone. I happen to like <laughs> Blavity.com. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think it's, it's great for those who want to continue to perpetuate this idea of black people and black men particularly being bad. Mm-hmm. Sure. You know, that's the place you should go because then you'll continue to, to play that over and over in your head. You know, my, my, my organization is 10 years old and people say, why isn't it bigger and larger? And why haven't you done more things? Well, because people are indoctrinated to this idea of black men inherently being bad. 
when black men ride their bicycle as you do and they're locking their bike, white people immediately see the black person stealing a bike. Mm. So there's an appetite, what you're saying, there's an appetite in society for the bad black stories, particularly the bad stories about black men. No one I, I don't want to say, I don't want to say stories. appetite. I think that's too small of a word. <laughs> I think it's, I, I think it's a, a phenomenon. I think it's a way of life for people. Mm. They need to consume these types of stories to reinforce their worldview. They want to re- they want to consume those types of stories because quite frankly, I don't think they know any better. You know, there's a story where I saw a black woman tase her son. She gave, yeah. put a taser on him, her yeah. own flesh and blood. Mm-hmm. Uh, not because he had done something criminal, but because he wouldn't wake up and go to church with her. <laughs> Hallelujah. Okay. I mean, this is, this is what you think as a parent that you should tase your black son's body and mind mm-hmm. because he's, he's not going to church with you. I think there's other ways of handling that. Mm-hmm. But I think that particular woman in my mind saw maybe television, movies, film, etc., whereby black men are tased. I don't know how she got a taser or where that came from. I don't know any of that. But she thought this is how this individual should be treated, whether he's my son or not. Hmm. Right? I saw another story very recently where a black toddler was, they beat the shit out of the black toddler. <laughs> for no reason. I mean, I'm not laughing at, at that, of course, but I mean, there, it's there just is the absurdity a, of it all. It's absurd to you. I but think it's absurd the, to most well-meaning people in this country. Well, I mean, you know, we have to go back to the, we have to go back to the black mother who, who tases her own child. Mm-hmm. You know, she lives in an environment, I would argue, where that kind of behavior was normal. Sound like there's a taser going off on your end. I'm not going to respond. Um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm broadcasting for Baltimore today. I'm not in Philadelphia. I'm actually in Baltimore. Baltimore. But, but the point is that uh, even, even the, 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 black, the, you know, the black men who were um, picked up by the police were, you know, jostled around in the police van and their necks got broken and they ended up dead mm. here. I mean, this is the police are supposed to serve and protect, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but there's an ideological problem in this country and around the world that says the black mind is of no value. And the black body to your point is also valueless. Mm-hmm. And again, and to every- your point, it's, it's intentional. Uh, I remember my first, um, understanding, and I was fascinated. I, I don't know exactly what explains my fascination with certain periods in history, but in particular this period, but the, the antebellum period after slavery, when all of these archetypes of Black people were created from the, the, the brute to the mammy to the, the, you know, the sambo um, to the Jezebel, the tragic mulatto, all of these different you know, caricatures and archetypes. But what particularly you know, astounded me was the brute. This idea that there were black men who were big and bad, who just wanted to terrorize and rape white women. And what, what and you fascinated... use the term was, and I say those images are more pervasive today than ever. No, I right? think you're right. No, I think you're right. But I guess, too, for me, it was, it was like there was this shift. And, and I know you know history, so I know you know what I'm going to you know, say. But there was this shift in how society looked at black people, particularly black men, because there was a time when the, the coon caricature was representative of black men. They were shiftless, they were lazy, they were docile, they were harmless, they were almost like a pet. And then overnight, they seemed to transform into this brute 
that, you know, would just ravage and terrorize society. And it was like we went from being docile, non-threatening pet-like people to animals. Well, you know, I think what you're talking about here is is framing and naming, right? And so um, people have tried to define, uh, the larger society has tried to define what the smaller, you know, marginalized individuals were and create this culture of fear. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe maybe that image you say it happened overnight. I reject that, but maybe it was after the Nat Turner Rebellion that they just said, "Oh, oh wait a minute, you know this is different." Right? <laughs> the Nat Turner Rebellion. Maybe they decided they were not. We were not docile anymore. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but but the other idea of saying that someone is not intelligent is the undercurrent around all of those images and stereotypes that you just talked about. Mm-hmm. And so you couldn't possibly be intelligent to go into a Starbucks and know where it is and know where it is in a particular neighborhood. Couldn't mm-hmm. possibly be intelligent. Mm-hmm. You know, Magic Johnson owns numerous Starbucks in the Washington, D.C. area, right? There are other black men who make coffee <laughs> for a living and have, you know, run coffee shops, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, what is this individual thinking? And mm-hmm. I know what she's thinking. She's thinking all of those stereotypes that you talked about, mm-hmm. uh, from antebellum forward, were going on in her head. Mm-hmm. Because if that white woman had gone to any number of Starbucks outside of <clears throat> a certain region, she would see black people in there all the time, and particularly black men in there. Mm-hmm. I, when I, you know, to your point, I, I remember. I don't know if they ever played this clip on Good Morning America. I didn't watch myself on TV, so I don't know what they played. But I, re- I remember telling her, uh, "You were too busy doing your radio show. How can you?" <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens, in America, when you're hardworking. You can't even see yourself in the. You know, maybe maybe you'll have someone can send it to you. They can record it for you or something. Yeah. But go on. But I remember, uh, you know, right at the tail end of the, of the interview with the young lady, um, uh, she, we were talking about the manager, Holly, and I said, you know, uh, you know, Holly, her, her unconscious bias or whatever this term is, uh, wasn't, wasn't formed when she began working at Starbucks. It was formed right. when she began to introduce herself to the world. This is an American problem. This was an indoctrination that she understood at birth, not upon employment at Starbucks. And so while I applaud Starbucks for taking this time out to, you know, uh, address this concern with their employee, but really they have to go back and, and look at all of their employees at all mm. of their stores in every state, in every part of the country and the world and say, you know, do you have a bias? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, is, is it the woman in the hijab? Is, is it the person who's overweight? You know, is, and this is something that McDonald's people just, you know, they, you come to McDonald's, you can just get whatever you want. You know, they don't look at your size, they don't look at your race, they don't look at your color, you just get whatever you want. <laughs> yeah, McDonald's you can has some sit master- in there as long as you want. You can sit in there as long as you want. Right? And so people have, and this is, again, this is a different kind of theoretical concept. If people are having a bias, they bring that bias to work with them, to your point. If yeah. they have some racist ideas, they bring that to work with them. You know, I have the pleasure of working for myself, which is hard work. Um, and I, I would argue that I probably have some bias of, of, around something or someone. I'm not, you know, I don't live in this. I happen not to watch television. I'm certainly not on Facebook. But I think that people who do those kinds of things consistently tune into that same bubble of watching every single story about, <clears throat> excuse me, a black man robbing a store, whether it's mm. a Starbucks, a coffee shop, or a grocery store, what, whatever. That's what Hollywood watches. That's what Holly watches. Mm-hmm. And so she sees that on Facebook over and over and over. And yes, I'm putting Facebook on blast. 
you know, people in that bubble culture. And so what you think social to- media contributes to, 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 to the Nordstrom's rack incident, to the Starbucks incident, to the Yale University incident, to the Waffle House incident? And again, I'm very mindful about what I say because I want to be clear that it's not Facebook. It's the interest that those people are clicking on. Mm-hmm. And then they, they say, I like this. And then they get more stuff fed to them about mm-hmm. that particular thing. Mm-hmm. Right? So that's how the algorithms work. Right? So, so it's a both and. It is the way the society is going. And then you to look at you know, many of the people who are putting the programs together um, uh, at, at, at Facebook are also racist. Mm. When I, many years ago, when I had my first black tie event for the Brothers Network with a fundraiser, I was looking for black men in tuxedos because that's what I wanted to put up because it was a black tie event. I put in um, black men, <laughs> black tie, and what I got were uh, pictures of inmates. Mm. I didn't do that, but I put it in Google and that's what happened. And what did that tell you? That told me that this idea of black men being in black tie, whether it's the Met Gala, Gala or not, is not something that the programmers are thinking of when they put those pictures up. Mm-hmm. So we can say inherent bias, we can say racism. And it's also you know, just about the images. I mean, not because it's not just, it doesn't just fall on the programmers. It's about what's available online on content and, and websites. So it's about nobody putting those types of pictures up. Well, you know, now we have pictures up because we have that black tie, that black tie event up online. So people can see it. And so if they want to Google pictures of black men in black tie, they now have some pictures. Mm-hmm. You know, Why is this what, issue so important to you, to reframing? I mean, do you feel like you were once looked at a certain type of way? Is that what informs your passion for doing the work you do now? <laughs> Wait a minute. You say once was. Am I dead? <laughs> Every single day. <laughs> Every single day. Uh, like many People black men. you like a criminal? I'm sorry? People treat you like a criminal? You say it with surprise and dismay <laughs> in your voice. <laughs> I happen not to live in a, in a black section of the, uh, of the city. I happen, mm-hmm. to, happen to live in a largely white section. And I would argue, and certainly I'm happy to argue it, I think it's even harder to do that as a black man to live in a predominantly white area. That's how I grew up in a predominantly white area in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. I think it's even harder because constantly you're barraged with these ideas um, of people not thinking that you belong or fit in. Mm-hmm. So I, I would argue that I say different if you live in a predominantly black area, it's probably less likely. I don't know. There's no data on that. I'd love to see it. But I think it's more stressful to live in the larger world, mm-hmm. to be the only black man in corporate America in your office. Constantly, you are under uh, watch. Mm-hmm. Real mm-hmm. or imaginary. If something's missing, they're coming right to no, you. I think you're right. They're no, coming that's right true. to you to ask you about it. I definitely think that's true because if you're in a barbershop with other black people, you're you're definitely at ease. Yeah, and I'm not. I'm not. You know, one of the things I wanted to get to, and this is another. Uh, Malcolm X spoke at Yale University in 1962. Right? People don't realize that because we yeah. were at a point in our lives where we were having these conversations about race, uh, and he spoke and he talked about that. Mm-hmm. And you know, he said he went on to say that what's a Negro with a PhD, a BA a master's. And he said, still a Negro. Mm. It's very much like Jay-Z's uh, new song. Um, You know, rich nigga, poor nigga, old nigga, you still nigga. Yeah, I don't know if it's a new song, but it's a a song and the refrain is real. And that's the acknowledgement. Right, right, right. But that's, that's that's the acknowledgement of that we are working as hard as we can to change that. And how are we going to do it? Mm-hmm. We have to ask our, our, our friends and neighbors to do it and say, look at us as full human beings. 
And ask them, do they want to do it? Well, do they? I don't know. That's what I'm saying. You know, asking them, do they want to do it? Because when you mm-hmm. told me about your teacher asking you how you felt about watching Roots, you know, what, it, what, what would have been curious for me or what I want to know is how she felt watching that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she felt probably superior as a white woman from the South. You don't think she felt guilt? No. Mm-hmm. No. No. I, I think that, you know, one of the, the heroes in the Starbucks situation, and I don't know her name, I'd love if you could interview her, it would be great, was a white woman who we hear in the, in the video that's captured. And she's saying, hey, what's going on? They didn't do anything. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If that white woman's voice with sounding like a white woman was not there, I don't think this would have been the national incident that it would be. Because mm-hmm. a white person had to corroborate what was the truth. So why do you think this Yale story is so big? Only, you know, there was no white woman. There was no white outrage. It was just a black well, woman. Well, I think that know. Yale's a really important, prestigious institution. It's been around for hundreds of years. Uh, many of the presidents have gone to, to Yale, and I think that it uh, has an Ivy League space. And they want to make sure, because again, they've come under fire with the, the Calhoun dorm and the name of that school, and they want to change that. And they want to make mm. sure that they're looking at openness. Mm-hmm. I, I believe that the universities and, and the institutions, I want to make clear, they, they are interested in doing the right thing. But they cannot effectively weed out these kinds of hollies, if you will, the hollies of the world. Mm-hmm. They cannot weed out the, you know, and I, I would argue that this particular student, you know, she should know who's in her dorm, the, the, the white woman, and she should have a sense of who it is. Right. You know, and, and these kinds of things can be avoided by saying, hey, are you a student here? I haven't seen you before. Hey, do you live here? <clears throat> you know, and I think the, the Yale is really hard and it's exam time. And so you hmm. can fall asleep while you're there. And we just hey, learned her you know name. Also, her also name from is this... Sarah, Sarah Brax. That's the young lady's name who called the cops. We're just learning her name now. Sarah Brax, B-R-A-A-S-C-H. I believe that's how you pronounce it, Sarah Brash. Yeah. yeah. I would be interested to see where, where she's from and what her experience has been. Mm-hmm. You know, and also this idea of solidarity that we talk about. It's an imaginary idea of, of, of a woman, right? We're in the middle of this Me Too movement. And if I saw a woman sleeping and I were a woman or kind of, you know, <clears throat> folded over with books and maybe a sweater. I would want to know if she was okay. That would be mm. my first inclination. Not that she doesn't belong, but hey, mm-hmm. is this is my sister, this black woman, is she okay? Did something happen to her? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, is, is someone chasing her? Was she passed out? Was she dehydrated? Was she drugged? Is she I mean, lost? What happened? What's going on? And this notion of the Me Too movement, I want us to have a greater sense of solidarity, sisterhood, and brotherhood. Mm-hmm. And their first response is, are you okay? Don't continue to victimize someone. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So now at Yale University, you think that it's their responsibility to have kind of mimic Starbucks and have an unconscious bias training for? No, 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 no wow. I don't think that. No, well, because they would have to go back and look at the, the unconscious bias from, from John C. Calhoun and how he promoted <laughs> slavery from, from their very No, long. I mean, they could deal with the, the current student body class forward saying, look, this is yeah, I, th- I think that what we have to do is ask people to, to take three seconds or five seconds or ten seconds and just assess, hey, wait a minute, is this person injured? Is this person okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and also ten minutes before that or an hour before that or a semester before that, right? So since January, I suspect that they live together in that same space. Pay attention to who's in your environment. Mm-hmm. Pay attention, right? I, I suspect, I don't know, that uh, those black men frequented Starbucks before in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, pay attention. See who's, see who's around you. That takes two seconds. Lift your head up from your phone and pay attention to see who's around you. 
So you can determine whether or not this is a threat. Mm. Mm -hmm. It takes 10 seconds. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. There was an incident earlier, and I'm sorry I don't have all of my, uh, my data, but it was an incident. The black man had just had a car accident. <clears throat> His head was bleeding. He you know, got out of the car, wanting someone to call the ambulance, went up to this woman's house, and she, in fact, called the police. His head is bleeding. Uh, we give the racist people, white woman's house. His head is bleeding. He had a car accident. The police show up and arrest him. Yeah. So, really, it takes two seconds for this white woman to look outside of the window and say, oh, my God, there's a car accident. Right? I am asking people to do the hard work. Mm -hmm. I wonder if this individual is from that car accident as immediately moving to fear when someone's bleeding from their head. My that's response, and I hope irrational. That's an irrational fear. I, I, I can't decide what's rational or irrational, but I'm going to ask people to take 10 minutes and think about it. Take mm -hmm. 10 seconds and think about it. When you see someone who's harmed or sleeping or, you know, whatever, don't go to, you know, don't go to 10 and call the police. Ask the person, hey, are you okay? Because the entire situation could have been avoided. Yeah, And not only that, people's lives could be saved, right? Mm -hmm. We have to show some compassion and empathy towards each other. We're all human beings. We have to lift our heads up from our phones. And we have to look and say, this is a human being just like me. Do you think any of this uptick or what is perceived as an uptick in these types of incidents is um, representative or emblematic of the... Uh, national political climate we find ourselves in post Donald Trump presidency or during a Donald Trump presidency? Do you think that that's related to that? Or do you think this type of behavior, I mean, we've already, we've, we've acknowledged this type of behavior and thinking has always existed, but do you think that this current climate is exacerbating it? John C. Calhoun was the vice president of the United States and built his reputation off of promoting um, racism. And uh, so, no, I don't think it's in any way emblematic of what we're seeing um, <clears throat> with who's in the White House. Mm -hmm. I do think, however, it has to do with who was formerly in the White House. Mm. And I think this is the, if you pardon the pun, the Obama, President Barack Obama blacklash. Mm -hmm. I think that the eight years that Mr. Obama was there and his lovely, amazing wife doing phenomenal things for this country, I think people were even more upset and are more upset about it because they wanted him to be not as successful as he was on the global stage. Mm. And I think that that has driven, if you will, a wedge in the idea that, in fact, black people are competent mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and are smart mm -hmm. and are able-bodied and can get things done and are and effective. It's very counter to what we see right now uh, in Washington. Mm. And I think this is what's driving it. In fact, that we have someone who, by all accounts around the world, would people would say is damaging, this is Donald Trump damaging the reputation of the United States around the world. And people think, oh my God, this is a white male ruining it. Mm. He's doing what they wanted or thought Obama would have done. Be chaos, scandal after scandal. Relatively unproductive. Correct. Correct. Mm -hmm. Correct. But unproductive in the wrong kinds of ways. You know, I mean, so I think that this is, and this again, this is that notion of false narrative. It's a false narrative to say that black people can or can, cannot do things, cannot do things. It's a false narrative. Mm. It's a false narrative. Black people have won every single award there is to win. Right? My favorite story is, uh, is, is about Arthur Ashe, which gives me such hope and inspiration. Arthur Ashe was a tennis great, who won numerous awards in Wimbledon, and he said it was harder 
for him through the 1980s being a black man in America than it was having uh, HIV AIDS, which mm. he died of. He said it was harder to be a black man in America than having HIV AIDS. Mm. So, you know, at the time, HIV AIDS was a disease that was unmanageable. People were dying, which he did. I mean, it was a terrible, terrible surge in, in many communities. And he said it was harder to just to be a black man. Yeah. And I completely agree with that. It is harder to be a black man than do anything else mm. wow. in this world. Because every time you step out of your house or getting into your house or trying to get a house, right? <laughs> you know, or trying to live with your neighbor or trying to get a coffee, someone is misjudging you. Mm-hmm. And and also, I, you know, I I don't want to be too personal, but I think it's true for younger black men as well as older black men. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have your head on backwards and your beard is scruffy, people don't think that you're an executive. Mm-hmm. That's right? for sure. They don't think that you're a smart person. They don't think you have the ability to execute uh, strategic plans or put together concept thoughts and ideas. Mm-hmm. Not because they're judging. You know, that's not your body. It's your mind they're afraid of. And that fear is everywhere. So at the Brothers Network, www.thebrothersnetwork.art. You can follow us on Twitter. You'll get stories, narratives, real-life things that happen that say how great we are as black men. Mm -hmm. How we've accomplished winning Wimbledon, winning winning awards, being a tennis great, playing golf, whatever it is. Right? Sports, theater, arts, humanity, life, right? We rise above and we excel up to including the presidency of the United States. How is it possible? Mm. And every single second of every single day, the larger community is out to get us. And sometimes people in our own community are out to get us. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, so I'm going to ask every black woman, Mother's Day coming up, hug your black son, tell him how much you love him. Right? Tell him how much you value him. Tell him you know how difficult it is for him. Right? And if you're a black mother, you got some nieces and some some nephews, hug them too and tell them. And don't tase your child. (laughs) Because he's not. Mm -hmm. Maybe maybe he's actually sick. And that's Mm -hmm. why he was sleeping. Maybe that's why he wasn't able to go to church with you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, my, my dad, who lives here in Maryland, a white woman rear-ended him. <clears throat> they were driving the car. She was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. My dad's 80. He's bleeding. He bumped his head on the steering wheel. He's in the car bleeding. She calls the police and the ambulance. They come in and try to arrest my father. <laughs> he's, he's, be- he's in the wheel of the car. She's rearing him. The rear end of his vehicle is smashed in by the white woman, and they come and arrest him. Mm. And this was how long ago? Uh, this is three years ago. Mm. The, the white woman is saying, what are you guys doing? I rear-ended him. If anyone should be arrested, it should be me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because the policeman arrived on the scene in Maryland and assumed that this black man, 80 years old, you know, had somehow, I don't even, you know, conceptually, but he automatically assumed that the 80-year-old black man was wrong. Well, because the and police are that- socialized just like Holly are. They're watching the same TV the same programs, The Wire, or whatever else it is, and they are, they're, they're, they're kind of getting in that same worldview. And this is why the black men who are part of the Brothers Network, particularly my board members, and when you go to the website, you'll see it's that. It's a beautiful website. They I want choose, it now. They choose not to uh, do work in projects that demonize and pr- pr- put up that sort of myth and, and uh, 
misconception about who black men are not. Mm-hmm. Right. I love Coleman Domingo because he's in Birth of a Nation. It's such a beautiful story. Um, you know, two love stories about black men loving black women in Birth of a Nation. I mean, amazing. Mm-hmm. Marlon Johnson's doing a film about how great black people have in jazz has been not only in the United States, but in France and around the world. Mm-hmm. Hey, right? listen. I was going to say, listen, before we wrap up, I didn't realize we're 45 minutes into it. We can talk. Because <laughs> <laughs> we never do that. Go ahead. The, of course, the, the police officers who responded to Yale University, um, <clears throat> excuse me, they admonished uh, the young white woman who called the police. And Dictionary.com tweeted out today that searches for admonish have climbed after Yale University police officers were said to admonish a woman who called the police on a woman of color for taking a nap in her own dorm building. Uh, and then they put out the, the uh, definition. It says to, it means to reprove or scold, especially in a mild and goodwill manner. I mean, I, I guess just kind of depart from the issue of race and talk about like education and society. It says something when people see something like admonish and, 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 and searches for the word spike because people don't know what that means. No, I, I, it's better than, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm happy that people went on to dictionary.com and found out what it meant. Oh, no, me too. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it talks about a yearning, for, uh, a yearning for learning, if you will. But it's also dude, it's yeah. kind of funny that, you know, most people don't know what that word means. Yeah. Well, you know, I don't know if I don't know if it's most people, but I think most people of a particular socioeconomic or, or racial class, and I'm not saying or what age. that is. Right. Or age. Yeah. And I think that, you know, the word read, R-E-A-D, they know that because they watch Real Housewives of Atlanta, right? You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so if they use the Real Housewives of Atlanta language, people would have a, a better understanding of it. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, but I do think it's important for people to be informed and engaged and knowledgeable and think mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. before they act or react. Mm-hmm. Right, because I think that those officers, one of which was black, from what I read, um, was very surprised. Mm-hmm. You know, there was no forced entry. There mm-hmm. was no forced entry. Obviously, they saw that upon entry to the to the uh, to the area. She showed the that her cold into the door worked. Right, and you know, somebody over Yale couldn't spell properly because <laughs> her name was misspelled in the mm-hmm. system. Mm-hmm. You know, a huge issue because this could have also gone a completely different direction. Mm. Right. When we have we have a traditional uh, American name versus a more global name. Right. Someone didn't spell it properly. Mm-hmm. Could have gone. Compl- someone could have ended up missing her exams and a whole bunch of other things could have happened because someone failed to spell her name correctly. Mm-hmm. And this is the this is where we live in a global world. We don't live in just one world. We live in a global world. <clears throat> not one state, just not one. You know, not everybody's going to be named Chris or Greg mm-hmm. or Christopher. Mm-hmm. Right? Sometimes people are going to have a spelling of their name that's one you haven't been familiar with. Mm-hmm. And this is where I want people to just take a couple of extra seconds. Do not tase your son, whatever you do. You know? <laughs> That's a public Ask service announcement. Okay. <laughs> do not tase your black son. Right? You know? Do not do it. Hug him. Hug him. And you know what? Reese is going to come again next year. You can go then. He's going to come in four more years. You can go with him then. You know, was he at work last night? I don't know what he was doing. You know, and going to Easter just to church on this one day is not going to be the be-all and end-all. <laughs> it's not going to endear next him to Jesus to any more than he already is or isn't. Okay. Okay, Mother's Day's coming. Maybe he can go then. But if you tase him, he's not going to be able to go. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to be able to go. We'll give you your last uh, thoughts you know, on this, uh, Gregory, this issue at Yale University. Any of your last thoughts 
And particularly, what do you think should happen to this student? Because some people on Twitter are calling for her to be expelled. Uh, I think that she has learned her lesson. Um, do you, do you like support see... this idea of her being expelled? Or, I, I mean, do not. I, I do not. Her, what I'd like to see is someone who... blame to be on the institution. Yeah, I, I'd like itself, to see someone but, offer... But just, just what your thoughts are. Yeah, I'd like to see someone offer her um, a full scholarship to Yale Law School mm. and so that she can fight for the rights of, of marginalized people mm-hmm. and look at discriminatory, discriminatory practices in the law mm. around housing, around employment. So that's what I'd like to see. I'd like to see someone offer her an additional time at Yale if she can get in uh, to go to the law school and look at these issues of, of, of institutional and structural bias mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and become an advocate for that because she herself was someone who was victimized by it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'd like to see. That's my final thought. That's your final thought. And Gregory, give your information out again where people can follow you and learn more about your organization, The Brothers Network. Sure, The Brothers Network. You can follow us on Twitter at, at the bro net. T-H-E-B-R-O-N-E-T. And you can follow us on our new website and become a member and get all of our editorials. Um, our website is www.thebrothersnetwork.art. Yes, .art. It's a high-level domain name because we focus on the arts and culture. And so our, uh, it's www.thebrothersnetwork.art. Absolutely. Founded in 2008 in Philadelphia, the Brothers Network is an expansion of the Harlem Renaissance and the Black Arts Movement, and they bring together artists, intellectual thinkers, writers, and more. Again, you can follow them on Twitter at TheBroNet. Visit their website at thebrothersnetwork.art and favorite their new anchor station at The Brothers Network. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Flood the Drummer. Subscribe to the Drumming for Justice podcast on iTunes, Anchor, and wherever podcasts are available. And until next time, for Gregory Walker, I'm Flood the Drummer, and I'm Drumming for Justice. 